The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, it's Nathan Eckersley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast, which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome. I'm Nathan Eckersley and on a special edition of the show this week, we are looking at the cost of living and asking if the government is doing enough to tackle it. The next hour is a repeat of the show from 12pm. So please don't get in touch as your message won't be read out, but you may still be charged. If you want to hear the show in full, then visit Wizard Repeats on our website, wizardradio.co.uk, or download the Nathan Eckersley podcast on your favourite podcast platform from Monday. It's a packed show, so let's go. The rising cost of living is quite possibly the greatest issue the United Kingdom faces at the moment. Yet our government seems to be doing nothing about it. Food prices and fuel bills are soaring, but we hear nothing about how the financial burden is being lifted from people's shoulders. In the Queen's speech last week, there was no mention of the rising cost of living. But this week, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, gave a speech to the highly influential Confederation of British Industry, which is the organisation that lobbies the UK government and governments around the world to support British businesses. In the speech, the Chancellor gave a very loose explanation of what is being done at the moment to address the current economic challenges. The next few months will be tough. But where we can act, we will. We are providing £22 billion of direct support, with fuel duty cut by five pence a litre, council tax cut by £150, the warm homes discount increased to £150. We're making work pay by increasing the national living wage and cutting the universal credit taper rate. And in just a few weeks' time, we'll increase the national insurance threshold to £12,500, a £6 billion tax cut for 30 million working people. Because tackling high inflation is not just an economic necessity, it is a social and moral necessity. Those who suffer most are not the wealthiest who can find ways to protect themselves. It is always the poor. The steps that Rishi Sunak outlined there are great, but like with most of the proposed bills discussed last week in the Queen's speech, they are only a starting point. 
Whilst the policies the Chancellor set out in that clip sound great to a room of the UK's biggest business leaders at a fancy dinner in central London, I want to go through each one and explain why those measures are not working. The cut to fuel duty is not nearly enough, and when the policy was announced in his spring statement back in March, because it was briefed to the press early, fuel companies hiked their prices up so that when the fuel cut came in, those companies were largely unaffected financially. The £150 council tax rebate would be a great help to many households, but the vast majority of councils have not even started giving taxpayers their money back, with some areas not expecting to see that money for another six months. The warm homes discount is only available to a small group of people, yet the punitive green levies, which account for 30% of total energy bills, remain. The national living wage increase may put more people in people's pockets, but it places an additional burden on small businesses, which are the lifeblood of our economy, who might not be able to afford to give their employees higher wages. The only measures that are already making a difference and a positive difference are the cut to the universal credit taper rate so that people can claim from a larger earning, and the upcoming raise to the national insurance threshold which will mean that people need to earn more before they start paying higher national insurance contributions. However, those measures do not address what is directly causing rising prices, which is inflation. And this is where Rishi Sunak and the government cannot do much to help. Inflation is managed by the Bank of England, which is the UK's central bank, and it controls the, the country's money supply. One of the first things Tony Blair's government did in 1997 was to make the bank completely independent of Treasury control, but make it directly accountable to whoever is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Now, in order to pay for lockdown measures over the last two years, the Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, cut UK interest rates right down to 0.25%. With this, Bailey and Chancellor Rishi Sunak agreed a policy of quantitative easing, which means that the Bank of England was printing money to ensure there was enough to cover things like the furlough scheme, whilst the Treasury was using that extra supply to buy bonds as a safety net for the UK economy. During lockdown, this policy meant that the interest people had to pay back on loans and mortgages was less, therefore giving people more money to inject back into the economy. And this worked for a short time, especially in the easing of the first lockdown restrictions in summer 2020, and schemes like Eat Out to Help Out got people back into restaurants and shops to spend that money and grow the economy. The issue now is that Andrew Bailey and the Bank of England have been too slow to raise interest rates to the pre-pandemic level of 0.75% as the economy rebounds, therefore allowing that extra supply of money to cause price inflation. Even Bailey's predecessor, Lord King, has said that the bank was far too slow to act. And now that interest rates are back at pre-pandemic levels, the effects of inflation have begun to hit, with the current rate of inflation at 9%, the highest rate for 40 years, and that's expected to go up to 10% by the autumn. There are non-domestic factors contributing to this, most notably the Russia-Ukraine war. In the international sanctions packages against Russia, removing the UK's dependence on Russian oil and gas has been a big reason for high energy bills. Food supply chains have been massively disrupted as Ukraine, regarded as the breadbasket of the world, has struggled with wheat harvesting and crop planting due to the conflict, which is creating food insecurity. 
the move by the United States to close the Keystone XL oil pipeline across North America has meant that less oil is being produced and America is now dependent on oil from Venezuela and the cartels in the member states of the Organization for Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC. On top of this, China's current COVID-19 lockdown has seen hundreds of container ships queuing to get into ports to offload cargo, and that too is disrupting supply chains. Speaking to the House of Commons Treasury Select Committee this week, this is what Andrew Bailey said about the impact of the external factors on our inflation rate. This is very, very, I mean, more than uncomfortable. I'm trying to think of a word that's even more severe than that. I mean, you know, you, it, it's a very, very difficult place to, for us to be in. I mean, to predict and to forecast 10% inflation and then say, as we were saying a few minutes ago, uh, and there's not a lot we can do about 80% of it, is I can tell you it is an extremely difficult place to be. I mean, we have to recognise the reality of the situation that we face. Um, and, and let me be clear, I mean, I, you know, I, I, please do not interpret anything I've said as a criticism of, uh, you know, of, of, of the situation in Ukraine. I'm very supportive of what's going on in Ukraine, and, um, you know, uh, we, have to live, we have to live with it and deal with it. Given that the economic outlook is not great, there is a lot the government can be doing, starting with tax cuts. The increased national insurance threshold is a big relief but it doesn't offset the rise in national insurance rates earlier this year to pay for the NHS and social care. That levy needs to be removed and the rate decreased further. The government actually earned more than it was expecting from that increase, and so that money could go into temporary subsidies of energy bills until the prices go down. On top of this, the green levies on energy bills, which make up over 30% of your bills, need to be abolished. The green levies are supposedly to go towards investing in renewable energy research and development, but the majority of the funds raised just sit in the Treasury waiting to be used. For government ministers to say they are doing everything they can is simply untrue, and will come back to bite them. In Australia this weekend, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who leads the Liberal Party, which is the sister party to our Conservative Party, lost his country's election to the Australian Labour Party's Anthony Albanese. Morrison who is a like-minded and close ally of Boris Johnson, was fiercely criticised for his poor handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and for Australia's cost of living crisis. Unless Boris Johnson actually does something to address the big issues in the UK, he will find that his political career could bear a striking resemblance to that of his friend Down Under in just under two years' time. I want to hear from you on this, so please do get in touch. You can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at TwizRadio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is the government doing enough to tackle the rising cost of living? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rates apply at 07807 183 You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. All of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back after this. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. 
Welcome back. Let's hear what you've got to say. And our first message today comes from Reese. Reese says, We know that the government can get very involved in relieving the stress of financial hardship on people because that's exactly what they did during COVID. The pandemic showed that when the government wants to help, they can help. It's not essential for them to sit by idly and just let the market even out because in the pandemic, they had loads of policies that helped people not go bankrupt and not suffer more than everyone uh, was already suffering. I don't understand why they are letting people suffer and prices rise to historic levels. There are people who literally cannot afford to feed their families at the moment, and yet the government are putting their hands up and doing nothing. Well, thank you for that message, Reese. And I agree with you in part there, actually, because we have seen what government can do in times of immense difficulty during lockdown measures. and. Uh, you know, you know what, what the government did was truly unprecedented. But it also shows that actually the government can be too involved and actually we need the government to take a step back from the, the, the economy at the moment. You know, during lockdown, ju just to keep the economy managing and ticking over, government had to get involved because there was no alternative really. Because the, the country had just ground to a halt on the 23rd of March 2020. You know, businesses were closed, schools were closed, every, everything stopped more or less, apart from those essential services like uh, deliveries and uh, food, food shopping, etc. But, you know, that, that was a temporary measure and a, a measure designed for the purposes of lockdown. And especially the, the furlough scheme, the, the, well, the, the coronavirus job retention scheme, as it's officially called. But that furlough scheme was... The, the most enormous expansion of the state's control on the economy in a way that we've, I, well, frankly, we've never seen it in this country. I, mean, I'll, I remember what, watching Rishi Sunak's announcement on the news uh, that, that day when he announced the, 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 the creation of the furlough scheme. And it, I, I remember al almost feeling a, something like a pit in my stomach when he said the government will step in and help pay people's wages. Because... That, that that's just the that, that's a prime example of what happens in a totally state managed economy, not in a, a free market economy like we've enjoyed for so many years in this country, and the, the type of economy that uh, is one that cr generates growth and investment in this country. So to have so much planning in the economy really does not help, and it's hindering growth. But those measures, as as you rightly point out, they did help a lot of people, but they've come at an immense cost. I mean, the, the, the furlough scheme has cost the UK taxpayer £70 billion. Pounds. I mean, that, that's just an extraordinary amount of money. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying that it was completely wrong that the, the government did that. On, on the contrary, it was at the right measure at the time for the, the first lockdown. But, you know, beyond that, the, the, there shouldn't have been any further lockdowns beyond the, one, the initial one in March and ended that summer in 2020. But to carry on the furlough scheme for so long has really, really added to our national debt. So uh, uh, now the national debt is well over 100% of our GDP. So we're not, we're, the country isn't actually making anything on the amount, it's earned, the, the amount that's coming in, which is ju just extraordinary for the, the times we live in. But 
you know, to, to say that the government does need to do more, that's absolutely right. But the market can even itself out if the government allows it to. And that comes through tax cuts by giving people more money, allowing people to keep more of their money in their pockets and inject it into the economy through spending by going to restaurants, going to shops, promoting small businesses. That's the way we can end this cost of living crisis. And until the government realizes that, I'm afraid we might be in for some difficult times. But thank you for that message, Rhys. Our next message comes from Josh. Josh says, I don't want to become extremely unpopular, Nathan, but I, I want to know exactly what people expect the government to do. Pay their bills or subsidise the cost of energy or food prices? At what point do we have a personal responsibility to deal with the situation that we are faced with? What's happening with energy prices is very difficult for a lot of people. But the fact that energy is becoming more expensive, and I don't believe that's the government's responsibility to pay for you to heat your homes, because you can't afford to do it yourself. We've come out of two years of the government supporting every aspect of our lives during COVID-19. And now things go back to normal, uh, there will be some suffering in the short term. But that doesn't mean that the government should jump in and solve every little issue you're facing in your life. Well, thank you for that message, Josh. And don't, don't, you will not become extremely unpopular because I completely agree with you there. You're right, the government shouldn't be stepping in to help with absolutely everything. And as, as I said uh, in response to, to Reese's message just before, you know, th there is a place for government, and undoubtedly. And perhaps even, even the most ardent, most passionate libertarian would argue that the one thing government must do is ensure that the country is prosperous economically, that people are financially well off and, you know, can afford to uh, pay for their families and uh, buy food, etc. That, that's the one job of government. But we're, we're having, we've had so, such a long period of time of having too much government with, with the furlough scheme, like with other uh, schemes during the, the lockdowns. But you're right, we do need to restore that sense of personal responsibility in our lives that we've enjoyed for so long before lockdown measures were introduced. And it, yes, they are temporary measures, the, the lockdown restrictions, and they were part of a, a piece of legislation, the Coronavirus Act 2020, that has since expired. But it goes back to the famous quote by the free market economist Milton Friedman, who once said that there is nothing so permanent as a temporary government intervention. And this is, this is what we're experiencing now with the cost of living is exactly that. This is the effect of lockdown measures on the economy. This is the effect of having so much intervention and state spending on our economy. It's very expensive and we're starting to feel the effects of that. And on energy prices as well. I mean, th this is something that's really, really strange about the, the current economic situation we find ourselves in. Because uh, earlier this week, the, uh, the Sky News economics editor, Ed Conway, did a really interesting uh, article on the Sky News website and converted it into a thread on, on Twitter, explaining that actually in the UK, there is a huge glut of, uh, of, of gas in, in the UK, so much so that the government doesn't actually know what to do with it. So there's that much but yet energy prices are still high. So considering we've got all of this gas that's waiting to be used to go into heating our homes, then you know we, we need that supply going into the economy and that surely should lower the, the prices because the demand is being met. But th thank you for that message, Josh. I completely agree that we do need more personal responsibility and the government shouldn't be managing the economy in the way it is. So thank you for that message. Our next message comes from Alicia in response to Josh's message, actually, saying, sorry, Nathan, but the message from Josh has infuriated me. 
Firstly, the idea of us just sitting by and accepting that anybody is suffering is just inhumane. The responsibility we have to answer his question is to make sure that nobody in one of the richest countries in the world can't eat, can't stay warm in their homes and can't access basic services. These are absolutely basic necessities to live in the UK and if the government cannot ensure that for every person in this country, then they need to either provide it or be replaced. On energy prices, this is a political decision by the government to not get involved. Fuel prices are impacting every country on the planet, so why are we experiencing it worse than others? In France, fuel prices have been capped at 4% to protect the public from going broke. The, the UK government could do the same, but they just don't care. Well, thank you for that message, Alicia. Uh, and the, I, think, I think the point that uh, we're, we're trying to get at by saying that the government should take less of a, of a role in the economy is that, you know, for the vast majority of people in the, in the country, you know, the, the, the fuel prices are going up, the cost of living is going high. But not everyone needs government intervention in, in their lives and help in supporting the economy. And th this is what we're seeing at the moment. We're seeing these blunt instruments being used uh, to tackle particularly energy prices as well. And uh, something that I've, I've been quite critical of, actually, has been the, uh, the tool used for the uh, so-called loan on energy bills that was announced as part of the Chancellor's spring statement uh, back in March. And this was essentially a... Uh, a, a method of having a, a 200 pounds taken off your energy bills this year but it gets repaid uh, every year as, as a 40 40 pound increase per year on your bills to to repay that but not everyone needs that and it's also uh, non-negotiable it's a mandatory uh, 200 pounds off your bills this year but an extra 40 pounds for the next five years afterwards so effectively it it, it's it's just not not worth it really because in if, if I give you an example of student accommodation for example right so if if you're living in a student a private student accommodation of six people your bill this year has been reduced by two hundred pounds but for the students in that accommodation when they live uh, in separately in different households in two years time then each one of them will have to pay back two hundred and forty pounds. A year collectively because it's on household bills per household it's not just per per person it's for everyone so there's a, an instant level of disparity there it's, it's it's unfair and punitive on those who won't necessarily benefit from it and and also uh, the fact that even people who uh, won't be getting that money off their fuel bills this year they'll still have to pay it back on future fuel bills so you know, again, it's a blunt instrument that not everyone needs. And in many cases, it is actually being quite punitive on on people's energy bills. So, yes, there are political decisions in this. And, you know, by capping fuel prices like France has done, again, that only adds to inflation because the, the French government will be effectively providing fuel for people at a cost uh, at less than it's really worth. And so later down the line, that price cap will have to be increased people will immediately feel that increase and it has a knock-on effect much further down the line. And also the, the impact on businesses having to sell fuel for less than it's really worth and for less than they're buying it. Again, that puts businesses uh, under as well and makes them really, really struggle. So yes, I fully accept that the government really does need to do more to, to help the poorest in society. Of course it does. That's the one job of government.
And again, the the increase to the the cuts, sorry, to the universal credit taper rate as well will do a lot more to to help that. And by uh, allowing people who are on a higher earning but are still struggling to make that claim, can uh, can be re really beneficial and will will help. And again, the national insurance rates as well, the threshold being raised, you know, meaning that people will will not have to start their national contribution national insurance contributions until they're earning more will will help and will offset will certainly ease the burden to some extent but it can go so much further and yes it is a political decision at the moment not to get involved but fundamentally we have we have to understand that the government can't get involved in everything and where it can get involved is through tax cuts like like those on the uh, universal credit taper rate and uh, with uh, national insurance those can help everyone but tax cuts will help the poorest most, and that's where the, this cost of living crisis can be resolved. But thank you for that message, Alicia. And a reminder that to get involved, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is the government doing enough to tackle the rising cost of living? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply at 07807 183538. You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. All of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, is the government doing enough to tackle the cost of living crisis? Well, only 12% of you say yes, it is, but a massive 88% of you say no, it, it's not. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. Let's go to some more of your messages. And our next message comes from Jamie. Jamie says, Nathan, the fact is that the government announced a rise in the energy price cap and then the next day, the prices of energy and petrol went up. So what happened? Suddenly, Shell had an overnight increase in costs that uh, that just so happened to coincide with the government allowing fuel companies to charge more money. I think this is just energy companies wanting to make more money by gouging the public, and it's absolutely disgusting. To your point, Nathan, what we're seeing with some of these prices do not make sense. Prices are going up higher than they need to, and then you see companies posting record profits, whilst the public cannot afford to live. At some point, the government needs to get involved so that people can just live. It needs to become more regulated, and I don't see the future for the country. Well, thank you for that message, Jamie. And I, I agree with you about the, the energy price cap as well, and uh, the, the announcement from Rishi Sunak to have that 5p a litre cut in fuel duty. I mean, for, for starters, that 5p cut was not nearly enough and uh, was just simply scratching the surface when it came to addressing the rising fuel prices. 
which at the moment are just ludicrously expensive, Ab absolutely ridiculous. Um, but on your point about the uh, price cap, th this is one of the, the, the difficulties with this energy crisis, and it's the fact that the price cap is monitored by Ofgem, which is the regulator for energy companies. And they change the price cap every, they assess the price cap every six months to determine whether it can be raised or lowered. Which, you know, in, in theory is, is great because it means that energy is being provided at as affordable a price as possible. But as I, as I said in response to the previous message from Alicia about the fuel rises in France, you know, by having price caps, if fuel prices globally are going higher and higher, which they are at the moment, and a contributing factor to that is the war between Russia and Ukraine and countries uh, removing their dependence on Russian oil and gas and moving to different uh, supply chains for, for that oil and gas. You know, that, that's seeing additional uh, increases in the, the global price for energy and for gas and oil. So from that perspective, it, the, the price everywhere is going up. But the price cap is meaning that energy companies are having no, no other choice. They are being forced to by the government to provide fuel for a lesser cost than it's actually worth and for a lesser cost than they're buying it. So, uh, yes, it, it is unfair and I completely agree with you. But there has if government is going to get involved in uh, addressing rising energy prices, it needs to change how the price cap works. Perhaps having more regular reviews of uh, whether it can be uh, increased or lowered would be a start. But fun fundamentally, we have to address why the, the fuel prices are going higher and higher. And in large part, we can stop these rising prices by getting rid of the green levies. I mean, to have an unnecessary 30% added onto your bill for that money to just sit in the treasury coffers waiting to be spent. Yes, it's supposed to go into investing in renewable energy and the, the research and development around that. And I, I have no issues with that. It's absolutely right that uh, government invests in the private sector to allow innovation to happen. And especially around renewable energy as well. And there's some promising research being done, particularly around hydrogen fuels. But... Uh, uh, Given the, the situation we're in now, that money, only a fraction of it is actually going into that research. It's just sitting there waiting to be spent. Well, why not use that money to uh, put into the, the energy sector to, uh, to perhaps have a temporary subsidy on the, uh, the fuel prices and uh, uh, subsidise the, the energy companies supplying the, the fuel? And that will help with the, with the burden that many families face on fuel prices. But fundamentally, I, th I just don't think government needs to get more involved overall. Yes, in certain cases, and especially to help the poorest in society. Of course it does. But for, for, as a broad, broad brush measure, the, the government really shouldn't be as involved as it is now. And the, the market needs to work, but it needs help with that. And again, as I keep coming back to, tax cuts are the main way to go about that. But thank you for that message, Jamie. Our next message comes from Georgina. Georgina says, the government isn't doing enough, Nathan, because they don't need to. It doesn't impact them. These stories in the news of people taking bus journeys just to stay warm, not being able to feed themselves so that they can feed their kids and so on. These feel distant to the government ministers who are making these decisions. Rishi Sunak is one of the richest men in Britain. He isn't feeling the impact of this inflation. His life is staying exactly the same. You saw the government step in in a big way when it came to COVID because that impacted their way of life and their family. But this does not, and so they're not willing to make major 
changes to actually support people who are struggling. And why would they implement major caps to energy firm prices when these ministers, when they leave government, will probably go and work for those companies that they're now letting bankrupt people? The entire system is out of touch and corrupt and real people are suffering as a result. Well, thank you for that message, Georgina. And you're right to say that the entire system is completely uh, out of touch. It's the, the whole sector needs massive reform, undoubtedly. And, you know, we, we are seeing the effect of have it, having uh, a, an outdated mechanism like the off-gen price cap in this, this cost of living crisis and around energy as well. But the, the broader impact of inflation, it, I mean, I, uh, I, I accept your point on uh, saying that ministers largely aren't affected too much, especially Rishi Sunak. I mean, in, in the Sunday Times Rich List this weekend, he, he's revealed as being worth uh, £730 million, pounds, him, him and his wife collectively, which is an incredible sum of money. But, you know, inflation affects everyone. And of course, it's, it affects people in different ways, but it makes everything more expensive. And so they will be feeling that. But equally, it's a, it's a difficult topic for governments to, to broach at any time because there's no easy fix with it. There's no quick win that you can have with that. Uh, and it, the, uh, the, the way that Boris Johnson's government seems to operate is that they, they, they just want a, a quick, easy win every now and again to get a, a bump in opinion polls and then uh, move on. But this is a really fundamental inst- a structural issue that, that needs changing. You're, you're right to point that out. And yes, we're, 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 just not, we're just not getting that because it's a tricky issue to solve. There's no uh, in, instance fixed to it. And that, that, the, the only thing that I, I can see really that the Chancellor can do is something that would later benefit him, which is tax cuts. Every, everyone benefits from tax cuts. Everyone benefits by keeping more of their own money. And so, you know, by, by, by having the, those tax cuts, we're, we're able to put more of that money into the economy and grow it that way. And then that allows the prices to start regulating themselves. That, that does, that's removing government intervention in the economy. And by having the, the government just guide certain parts of the economy more than others and uh, dropping certain prices in uh, certain places will we'll naturally see prices go up in others and it doesn't offset that way and until the government realizes that that that's exactly what's happening and things would get more expensive and it, this is what happened uh, in the in the 1970s during the, the winter of discontent the labor government under james callahan was uh, totally managing the economy so much of the economy was nationalized the uh, the states was controlling so many aspects of it but yet when uh, Margaret Thatcher came into office, it wasn't perfect straight away. There were still many issues regarding unemployment and inflation. But she was removing the, 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 bar- the obstacles that the states was putting in the way, removing the government's intervention in so many aspects of the economy, pers- pursuing privatization policies. And that brought inflation right back down to uh, more uh, re- regulated levels, the easier to manage levels, and uh, the, the economy grew and it was thriving by the end of the uh, 1980s and carried on for, for many years afterwards. So we can see the benefits of letting government take a step back, to, to use Thatcher's uh, terminology, to roll back the frontiers of the state. That's uh, By growing the economy, that's how we can get our, our our economy back to back to normal allow people to keep more of the money they're earning because even for graduates as well i mean when you factor in student loan repayments and uh, the 
national insurance uh, rise to cater for NHS and social care and other tax rises and inflation. For some graduates, they're paying as much, uh, just shy of 50% of their income. They're giving that to the state in, in taxation, and which is just wrong. We shouldn't be in that. And it, it is punishing young people as well. And, you know, when we look at the economy at the moment, it's really difficult to see much optimism for young people going into the job market at the moment. But thank you for that message, Georgina. And the system really does need uh, massive reform and the government needs to tackle that head on. So thank you for that message. And our next message comes from Henry. Henry says, he mentioned earlier that, Nathan, that the furlough scheme cost the government £70 billion. But am I misremembering or didn't they borrow that money from the British public? It's not like they borrowed that from other countries and need to repay them. Wasn't the whole thing that money was just taken from the public purse? Well, in that case, I think the public can be can happily come together and say, keep the money. You don't need to pay us back by raising prices and uh, raising taxes. You, you can just keep it and we'll forgive you. Honestly, Rishi, we can forgive all the debt if you can just make it so we can actually live our lives again without running out of money and just trying to stay warm in the winter. Well, thank you for that message, Henry. And yes, the, the money was taken from the public purse. It was taken from the Treasury and from uh, by cashing in on government savings, etc., and investments. And yes, it, you know, it was taken from the, the taxpayer. The taxpayer did foot the bill for the, whole, the entire £70 billion on top of everything else that was spent. And, you know, the, the final, uh, I don't think we'll ever truly know what the full uh, price tag of lockdown measures will ever be, but it's certainly in the hundreds of billions uh, entirely taken from the taxpayer. But most of it was taken through the quantitative easing measures, as I mentioned in my opening remarks uh, earlier today, by having the Bank of England print money to increase the supply and using that to buy the, buy the government bonds to uh, to borrow the money from other areas. And yes, that, that works for a, a time, but you have to constantly keep on top of it. You have to constantly be monitoring your investments, continue to be checking how much money is going into the economy through the, the printing process and you know if, if the Bank of England isn't keeping a regular check on it and managing the interest rates at the same time to cater for that then you know we are going to see the, the price rises and that we're seeing now and yes raising taxes is totally the wrong thing to do at this time and I'd, Rishi Sunak someone who prides himself on being a, a free market thinker and he even his maiden speech when he first became an MP back in 2015 was talking about how we should pursue a, a low tax, high growth economy. And yet, as Chancellor of the Exchequer, the man running the, the, the nation's finances, he, he's actually pursuing a, a high tax, low growth method, which is just absurd, really, especially given the situation that we are in at the moment. But fundamentally, you're, you, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. The government is accountable to us as the electorate. You know, they've spent our money. At the very least, we can get some of it back through tax cuts and through uh, uh, investment in public services and to uh, allow and uh, allowing small businesses and business generally to uh, be as restriction free as possible and to let the economy grow naturally by letting people keep the money they're earning or keep as much of it as possible and injecting it into the economy that way. That's the only way we can properly get out of this uh, the, this situation that we are in at the moment with the cost of living. And uh, Rishi, Rishi Sunak really needs to 
address that and make the difficult decisions that allow that. Yes, the government will lose a lot of its income quite quickly if there are tax cuts, but that, that would happen anyway at any time when there's, a, the, when there's a tax cut. But they will make it back quite quickly through growth and through investment into the economy by people like you and me going to the shops, going to restaurants, you know, spending our money. They will see returns on that quite quickly and they just need the confidence to go out and let, let us just unleash the economy and grow our way out of this cost of living crisis. That's the only way we can do this. Thank you for that message, Henry. And uh, a reminder that please, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to, uh, to vote live. And again, please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back just after this. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Our next message comes from Nikki. Nikki says that this is slightly unrelated, but I think it speaks to the broader issue. Basically, early on during the lockdowns, I remember when the government mentioned that it would be housing as many homeless people as they could, so that homeless people weren't on the streets during lockdown, without being able to raise money for shelters. They quickly rounded up the homeless and booked hotel rooms for them for weeks and weeks, so they had somewhere to live. Then one day, towards the end of that lockdown, they kicked them out and the homeless, who had been... Uh, given a taste of stability, we're back on the street. I think this is a huge example of what our government is. They know that they can help people, and when they are absolutely forced to, they will do incredible things. But if they are not absolutely forced into helping people live better lives, they will let people suffer. Don't forget, this is the same government that tried to cut free school meals and only reversed when Marcus Rashford stepped in. Well, thank you for that message. Nikki and yes, I, I too remember the, the policy around homelessness. And yes, it, it was certainly a commendable policy for the government to pursue during lockdown, especially. But again, it, it goes back to to this point that I've been I've been drawing on throughout the show today, which is that the government can't do everything. And yes, of course, it the government should do uh, more certainly to help uh, the homeless as much as possible and to get homelessness down to as small a, a number as as is possible. But fundamentally, you know, it's just not a feasible or sustainable model to keep paying for hotels to house the homeless for indefinite periods of time. In the same way that it's not a feasible policy for the government to keep paying for hotels to house asylum seekers who've crossed the channel in the dinghies. You know, and, and that, that's why, we can, again, we can discuss at length another time whether or not it's right to have the, uh, the processing policy in Rwanda. But fundamentally, uh, on, a, on a purely practical and pragmatic basis, it's just not sustainable to keep paying for hotels for 
for uh, those in, in need of accommodation. And this is why the government needs to, as well as tackling the economic side of this, needs to tackle housing policy. Housing policy is the thing that no government has been wanting to touch for years and, and years. And as a result, we've seen house prices at their highest ever rates. And, and it, you know, so, so many people just cannot afford to uh, buy, buy a house. It's, it's just become so expensive. And, and of course, with uh, higher tax rates and higher food prices, you know, the, the uh, ability to own your own home becomes uh, further and further away. So, you know, by tackling housing policy, by massively increasing the supply of housing in the UK, and a lot of it comes into uh, having the confidence to build council houses as well, that, you know, building council houses is great. And again, having the option to sell them on later is an even better idea and gets people on the property ladder. But fundamentally, it, the housing policy can be the one of the keys to solving this crisis. You know, giving people the security of owning their own home and uh, allowing uh, people to live in communities and places where it's desirable to live, not just where the cheapest property is, just so you can get on the housing ladder, but building communities and building uh, places where people want to live and that's going to be really, really important in this. And the government sort of started to address this with uh, in, in the Queen's speech with uh, addressing housing policy and introducing this idea of street votes to allow residents in a, a local area to uh, have their say on a new property development or a new uh, uh, community policy to help with that. But, you know, fundamentally, it's about tackling policy rather than just paying for accommodation. And again, on the free school meals, Again, as as much as I have uh, sympathy with the free school meals argument during school holidays, again, fundamentally, the government can't pay for everything. There has to be a level of personal responsibility. And yes, there are families who really struggle to uh, make ends meet and put food on the table for their families. But again, that's where increases to universal credit can come in. And big increases are needed for universal credit, especially for those on the lowest incomes. And so th again, that's how families can be supported in providing uh, food for their children and I don't think it should be on the state and for schools to uh, provide uh, school meals throughout the whole of the academic year and especially in school holidays. Of course it's right during term time but during school holidays I, I, I uh, as much as I have sympathy with the argument I, I struggle to uh, support that uh, for a, a long-term policy but thank you for that message Nikki. And our next message comes from Jacob. Jacob says, I never thought I would say this, Nathan, but I actually agree with you. Oh, goodness. Uh, Short-term tax cuts so that people can keep more of their own money and prices could go down. Whilst this issue balances itself out, would not just help people afford to live in this country, one of the most expensive countries on the planet, but it would also make Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson very popular, with an election coming up in the next couple of years. The government has always struggled with the idea of spending or losing money in the short term to make more money in the long term, though. Though this is the same political party that chased austerity and led to a decade of struggle instead of actually investing in the UK to help us uh, rebound after the economic crash of 2008-2009. Uh, uh, they've seen how well it worked during COVID. Now they should do it during the time of suffering. Well, thank you for that message, Jacob. And well, I'm, I'm glad you agree with me. But uh, again, the, the issue with austerity is really, really difficult because I, I do believe it was the right thing for David Cameron and George Osborne to do. However, they took it way too far. Yes, cutting state expenditure is, uh, of course, important during a, a time of uh, economic in insecurity and struggle, particularly as we were in, in 
2008 and 2009, and indeed uh, the Eurozone crash uh, later on in 2014. But fun- fundamentally, austerity is a right policy to do, but you can't just do it as a broad brush uh, measure for everyone, which is what uh, Cameron and Osborne did do in uh, in the coalition government. That that was wrong and it went too far. But fundamentally, austerity was the right policy, just handled very, very poorly. And so we're starting to see a level of this in the way that the government wants to streamline uh, how it operates by uh, cutting a, a uh, about uh, 90,000 what they regard unnecessary civil service jobs as well. Again, you save on uh, salaries later on and make the processes of government more streamlined as well. That will also help with the state finances. But fundamentally, yes, short-term tax cuts, are, uh, well, actually, tax cuts generally are the way to do this and the way to solve this cost of living crisis. But thank you for that message, Jacob. And our final message of this segment comes from Brandon. Brandon says... There is real suffering happening out there at the moment, Nathan. I've grown up with a pretty normal life. Both both of my parents have lived their whole life. And at the end of COVID, though, my mum lost her job because she'd been furloughed. I've been helping her apply for jobs in my spare time because I'm off for exams at the moment. She applied for around 150 jobs between March and May and did not receive a single reply. She's on Job Seekers Allowance. And in order to not be sanctioned by the JCP for insufficient work search... Uh, we often need to reapply for the same roles, even though she is going for everything and anything that's out there. A lot of adverts out there are repeated adverts, zero hours contracts, volunteer positions, etc. That's just my story, and we have gone from normality to struggling very quickly. I feel like there is no end in sight. Well, thank you for that message, Brandon, and I'm really sorry to hear that uh, that that's, uh, that your family has been going through that, and I really do wish your mum the very best of luck in her uh, job search. And your your story there is one that's replicated right across the country. You know, d- during the lockdown, yes, the furlough measures were great in uh, allowing people to keep their jobs and still get a large portion of their income. But fundamentally, not every job could be saved, and, and Rishi Sunak was uh, really uh, upfront about that. Right when he uh, when he made the announcement about furlough, saying, you know, I must level with you, we can't save every job. And, you know, to be honest, for him to be so honest about that, it was refreshing and certainly made people aware of the situation that we find ourselves in. But fundamentally, you know, the private sector really needs to step up as well. It's not just all on government. The private sector needs to create the jobs, have the confidence to create those jobs, have the additional capacity within their sectors to get more people in work and give them jobs. And of course, the Increased national living wage is an extra burden, but again, one that is necessary at the moment. So thank you for that message, Brandon. And uh, you're right, there do need to be better job opportunities available. And uh, as I say, I really do wish your mum the very, very best of luck with that. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week. But before we go, let's check in with the final poll result. Reminder, the question of the day is, is the government doing enough to tackle the rising cost of living? Well, only 12% of you say, yes, it is. But 88% of you say, no, it is not. Well, thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode. And thanks to everyone who's sent in messages live. If your message wasn't read out this week, then please do try again next week. Thank you to my guests, Julian Jessup. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and I'll be back at the same time, same place, next week. Goodbye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.